warning. She said, warning. It sounds a lot like good morning, but good morning as well. <laughs> warning. Rip currents. Break the grip of the rip. If caught in a rip current, don't fight the current. Swim out of the current, then to shore. If you can't escape, float or tread water. If you need help, call or wave for assistance. Three safety points. Know how to swim. Never swim alone. And my favorite, if in doubt, don't go out. Have you ever seen a sign like this? Do you pay attention to signs like this, like these kind of warnings? I think many of us, when we see these signs on the beach or at the edge of the Grand Canyon, or I guess it wouldn't be at the edge of the Grand Canyon, but warning signs in general, we, apl- we just assume, well, that doesn't apply to me. Take the rip current sign, for example. We think, well, it's a beautiful day. Water seems calm, and I'm a good swimmer. What could go wrong? It's probably uh, for those who have that attitude that these signs are most helpful to uh, those who need to pay attention to those signs the most who are maybe overconfident. Well, warning signs are not just found on the beach or again at the ed- edge of the Grand Canyon or on cigarette cartons. Uh, they're found in God's word. So please open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter two. It's on page 10. 61 of the black pew Bibles that should be in front of you. Hebrews chapter 2. This morning, we are kicking off a new sermon series in the book of Hebrews. But I'm not preaching the entire book. I'm just preaching selections. Just the warning passages. There are five key warning passages in the book of Hebrews. And if you're not a follower of Jesus... Uh, I'm again, we're so glad that you're here this morning. I don't know what you were expecting today to to hear uh, in your your experience here at church, but I may be about to fulfill some of your stereotypes of a Christian and a Baptist preacher. Uh, I'm going to try not to yell a lot or uh, preach a hellfire and brimstone sermon. Um, I'll do my best. Uh, But this passage is more intense than usual. Uh, But there's a twist. Non-Christian friend, these warnings are not primarily aimed at you. So listen now as I read the first warning passage from the book of Hebrews. Again, it's found in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, page 1061, near the back of your Bibles. Hebrews chapter 2. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard, so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Who must pay attention? We must pay attention so that we don't drift away and neglect our great salvation. In other words, the warning in Hebrews 2 and all the other warnings in the book of Hebrews 
are directed at those who understand themselves to be followers of Jesus, those saved by Christ, those who have known this great salvation. How do I know this? Well, big picture, we know that the book of Hebrews was a sermon as a whole. It actually says it's a short sermon for what it's worth in chapter 13. Uh, But the divine author had a message for the church then, and it has a message for us today that we're going to be considering in this series. So my prayer for you, again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, is that you will simply listen and consider with us, whether you're not a Christian or you are a Christian or you maybe feel like you're somewhere in between, you'll consider with us this great salvation and what our response must be to it. So here's the main idea of the sermon this morning. Don't stop listening to the word of salvation. Don't stop listening to the word of salvation. We're going to work our way backwards in the text. Uh, First, we're going to consider the word of salvation starting in chapter 2, verse 3, about halfway through verse 3, and then we'll consider our response and go back to verse 1 in our second point. So it's a two-part sermon. First, the word of our salvation. Look again at the text at Hebrews 2, 3. This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken of by the Lord, and it was confirmed to us by those who heard him. At the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit, according to his will. So here in verses three and four, we're going to see what makes this salvation so great. I want you to see how what makes the salvation great is that it's a sure salvation. It's certain. And I think, uh, well, I want you by the end of this point to be asking yourself like, Why would I ever neglect this great salvation? Why would I ever drift away from it? I think we're given three reasons in just two verses, or one and a half, really, uh, of why this is such a sure salvation, why this is a certain salvation. So three reasons why the word of salvation is a trustworthy word. First, so this is a sub-point, it's spoken by the Lord. Did you see that in verse 3? This salvation had its beginning when it was spoken by the Lord. Salvation was spoken. Uh, Did you notice, even in this brief passage, how many references there are to like speaking and hearing? And then listen to how the book of Hebrews begins. It's setting the tone for the rest of the book. Long ago, God spoke to our ancestors by the prophets at different times and in different ways. But in these last days, God has spoken to us in his son or by his son. The son is God's word to his people. And when the son came, what did he do? Well, he did lots of things, but he spoke, he preached. When he starts his ministry in Mark 1, verses 14 and 15, he says, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the good news of the gospel. This good news of the gospel is the salvation that was spoken by the Son of God, our Lord Jesus Christ. And here in Hebrews 1, and also we can see in John 1, he is the word. So he doesn't just speak the word of of salvation. He is the salvation. 
Again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is the word that we want you to hear this morning. If you miss everything else that I say, hear this. God has spoken in the person of his son. Jesus came with the word of salvation for rebels, for self-righteous people like us who think that we don't need God. He came to rescue us from ourselves and from the wrath of God. This is the word that we hope that you will hear this morning and every Sunday that you choose to gather with us. It's not a word that tells you, try harder, clean yourself up, be good. It's a word that calls you to abandon your pride for something better than managing life on your own terms. It calls you to submit your life, to surrender your life to God in the person of Jesus. So if, if you would like to know about more about this word of salvation, we would love to talk to you about this. Uh, the, the way we hear this word of salvation is in his word. So if you do not know Christ, if you do not love him, Talk to whoever you came with this morning. Talk to me at the door or anybody you've seen here up on stage or who just looks like they they belong to this church. I don't know what that looks like. Um, But we would love to talk to you about what it means to listen to God's word in the person of his son. The good news is a message that has content. The word of salvation is a message that has content. Romans 10 says it this way. Faith comes through hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So if you want to know what God's like, listen to the Son. Look at him hanging on the cross for the purification of your sins, the sacrifice that speaks a better word, his blood that speaks a better word over your life, Salvation belongs to God alone, and we see that in the person of the Son. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever feel like that there must be more to the Christian life? Kind of feel a little stagnant, maybe, in your walk with Christ? Maybe you come to church and you just feel like, man, all these sermons are sounding the same. (laughs) They all kind of get at the same thing, and it's getting a little old. Um, If the messages that you're hearing at church and as you consider your salvation in Christ, if it's all sounding the same, good. That's on purpose. We never move on from what was spoken in the beginning by the Son of God. You will never hear a sermon here that will be as crucial as the first word of salvation that you heard when you repented and believed. We must go back to that word that was spoken in the beginning at the beginning of every day and at the beginning of every week. That's what we're trying to do now. And this is what we plan to do until Christ returns. Jesus came speaking this word of salvation in the beginning. He is the source. He is the word. But you also don't simply need to take his word for it, although that should be good enough. But look at the rest of verse 3. His word was and it was confirmed by those who heard him. So this is the second sub-point of why this is a trustworthy word or a sure salvation. It's confirmed by witnesses. So point two, uh, sub-point two. 
God, the son commissioned eyewitnesses to write down what they had seen and heard. You can read about that even in John 14, that Jesus would bring to perfect memory uh, what they had seen and heard. And it wasn't just God, the son who got involved in this process of confirming his word to us. No, God, the spirit got involved and he inspired these apostles and writers of Holy Scripture, just as Jesus promised. I will say right up front here, as we consider this confirmed by eyewitnesses, basically as we consider what we hold here, um, if you struggle with doubt, like, is this really true? Seems a little far-fetched. Seems a little crazy at times. If you ever have that thought, welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Uh, I would say that doubting comes easy. Uh, And they're really smart people who make very rational sounding arguments of why we're crazy to believe this. So if you're someone, though, who struggles with doubt on a regular basis and it's bringing you down, I encourage you, don't don't doubt on your own. (laughs) Share those doubts openly and honestly with a trusted friend, someone you know who is right there in the fight for faith with you. Uh, talk, one of the elders would love to talk with you just about the doubts that you might have about the trustworthiness of God's word. And also direct your doubts to God. You know, he, he knows your thoughts. He knows your doubts. Uh, confess your doubts to him. Share your doubts with him. He hears you. And he is the one who can help you ultimately. Now, we, we regularly pray uh, like the father. I think it's in Mark chapter nine. I believe Help my unbelief. If you are someone who is kind of settled in your doubt, like you, you identify as agnostic or atheist, I just want to say kudos to you for being here uh, this morning. It shows that you're, you know, are willing to consider views and opinions uh, different than your own. I also want to say that you have a lot more faith than me. Uh, it takes more faith than I have to explain how Christianity kind of got started uh, from the perspective of unbelief. Historically, how you get from the life and the cross and death of Jesus, which is attested to and even you know, non-biblical sources, to the Christian movement just a few days later that took off and what we're doing here right now, I don't know how you explain that historically. It, you have to get creative. It really defies explanation unless Jesus really did get up from the dead. Many of us know that virtually all those who confirmed the salvation, these witnesses who confirmed it, as we see in verse three, who heard and saw the death of Jesus on the cross and saw him resurrected with the 500 witnesses, uh, many of those apostles, actually most of them, were put to death for their faith. Would those apostles, would those witnesses have gone to, to their death for a lie? No, I think the resurrection makes sense based on what happened in history. The word of salvation wasn't just spoken by Jesus in his life and ministry, but trustworthy eyewitnesses wrote down what he said and did. And no one has been able to say, 
definitively, it's a conspiracy. Biggest hoax ever. You know, one book, though, I mean, we still we do still struggle with doubt. And one book that has helped me when it comes to these questions about the reliability of God's word, the trustworthiness of the witnesses that we have in Scripture is this book, Taking God at His Word by Kevin DeYoung. I believe it's on our bookstone or library. Uh, This book has been very helpful to me, so I just wanted to recommend that to you. Well, the third and final way that our text gives us here in verses 3 and 4 of Hebrews 2, the certainty of the word of salvation is that, third, it's testified by the Spirit. We see in verse 4, at the same time, God also testified by signs and wonders, various miracles, and distributions of gifts from the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now, signs and wonders will not convert or convince anyone in of themselves. Uh, But God, in his sovereign wisdom in the early church, accompanied the message of his son with visible signs to encourage the early church. That is all a sign is. It's verification of the word. I believe that we don't see signs and wonders and miracles like the early church did. Like, in, like what we read about in the book of Acts. But I think that's because in God's wisdom, once the church and the Holy, Holy Spirit-inspired word were established, the church and the word are the sign. That's the manifestation of the Spirit still just as much at work in the church today as it was in the first century and in the book of Acts. We know that the Holy Spirit is still active as he brings people together who would, without Christ, have no reason to get together to worship Christ, the risen king. That's like the Holy Spirit's job. He, he convicts us, he counsels us, he comforts us, he brings us together as the church to worship the risen Christ. And then he gifts the church with people who have gifts to build the unity of the church so that Christ might get the glory. So I think the Holy Spirit is still just as active in the church today, testifying to the trustworthiness of the word of salvation that we have in Christ. So these are the three things that I think we see in these uh, one and a half verses in verses three and four. It's spoken by the Lord. That's the source. Second, it's confirmed by witnesses. Third, it's testified by the spirit. This is how we can know that the word of salvation is trustworthy, that it's certain. Um, It's incorruptible. It's preserved by the spirit of God throughout the ages. It's attested to in the lives of those who hear and believed this word, this word of salvation has survived the attacks of skeptics, cynics, dictators, archaeological and astronomical discoveries haven't defeated it. The threat of certain death uh, hasn't uh, killed it. Millions have followed in the line of the early apostles who have attested to the trustworthiness of the word with their blood with their lives. I want to say a word to kids. We're the kids. Okay, kids, you probably have a lot of questions about God. There's a lot of things that we don't understand about what God is like and about his word. And uh, I'm with you. There's a lot I don't understand about God. I don't understand how God can be three in one. I don't understand how God can always have existed and exist for eternity. Um, I don't understand even fully how the, the cross of Christ uh, forgives all who would come to him. I don't understand that fully. But think of it this way. We don't need to know everything in order to trust that the word is trustworthy. Uh, 
we don't know exactly, or at least I don't, uh, but I don't think we, most of us don't fully understand how like a car or an airplane works. Uh, But we trust that someone does, like engineers, like kind of knew what they were doing. There were safety checks, um, mechanics worked on it. So we're confident enough in someone who does know how these things work to get in the vehicle, get in the plane and go for a ride. If we can trust the designers of vehicles and people who run safety checks on vehicles and airplanes, how much more can we trust the one who designed us to know him? We don't need to know everything about God and have all of our questions answered to know him truly. In this life, we will never know all things fully, but we can know him truly in the word of salvation of the son. You know, he's God's given us. This is not a manual like the answer guide to all the questions that we have about God. This is a testimony to the word of salvation in Christ, the son. It's not, a, it's not a user manual. It's something better. Uh, he has given us himself, the word of the Son. Have you considered how great of a blessing that is? What a great word God has given us in his Son. Just as Andy opened the service earlier, what a blessing to know someone whose word will not change. What a comfort to know that there is a word that will not let us go. What a foundation to build our life upon this word. What a thought that the word goes to eternity past and eternity future and will be shown to be the word around which all other words orbit. Hinson Baptist Church I got to tell you how encouraged I am to see your trust and your love in this word of salvation. I hear it each week as as you sing of the word of the salvation with joy, encouraging one another that this is true, that we can build our lives upon this message. I see it in your dependence or I hear it rather in your dependence upon the word. As you lead us in prayer, like we had Tracy this morning or on Sunday evenings when we, when we pray. I, I hear it when you share how the word is convicting you of, of sin, of being independent from the word, wandering, drifting from the word, and how the word is drawing you back and showing you the way of forgiveness and life. In the word made flesh. I see it and I hear it when you're going through a difficult time. Your confidence that God is sovereign. And that he is with you. And that his word is sure. Your love for the word grows my confidence in the word. So Henson, don't stop. Don't stop. Continue on in this word. Don't let the lies of this world and the deceitfulness of our own hearts drown out the word, but plan how you're going to speak this word to yourself and to your brothers and sisters in Christ even this week. Here's one idea. Read the book of Hebrews. I'm not preaching the whole thing. Again, just doing sections. But you will be much more helped if you read the entire thing. Maybe read it in one sitting. Read it with your family. Maybe after mealtimes. 
doesn't have to be the whole thing, but read chapter 1. What a testimony to the power of the word of God that we have in Hebrews 1, as the Old Testament testifies to the identity of Christ the Son. So get together, read God's word, pray God's word, encourage one another with God's word. So often when people share like struggles that they're going through, I'm at a loss of what to say. Maybe I haven't gone through that kind of suffering before. He has. And this word is all that we need. It is sufficient. He has been so good to us to speak to us. He has spoken a sure word of salvation to us. And that should change everything. That should change everything about our lives. Well, it shouldn't shouldn't only encourage us, but we have a response in this text in Hebrews 2. The sure word of salvation leads to warning. Uh, It leads us to watch out from abandoning this word. That brings us to big point two and our final point. This is our response to our great and sure salvation. Uh, Go back to Hebrews 2.1. For this reason, we must pay attention all the more to what we have heard so that we will not drift away. For if the message spoken through angels was legally binding and every transgression and disobedience received a just punishment, how will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about what it would look like to be drifting spiritually. What does that look like? To be drifting away from that word of salvation that we just considered in point one. What does drifting from Christ look like? What are signs that one might be neglecting the word of God? Think about that. Do you have some things in mind? We'll come back to that, but I wanted to start there. But let's read this text, how the original readers would have heard it. The book of Hebrews was written to Jewish Christians in the first century, probably before 70 AD. They were one generation removed from Christ. So most likely they they had never seen Jesus. They, like us, simply had the word of testimony, like we considered in sub point two point one. Um, they had the preaching and writing of eyewitness accounts. So they had received that, they had believed that, and now fast forward maybe a few years, and following Jesus is hard. It's hard. And it's difficult to live a life based on a word or a relationship with someone that you cannot see. And these Jewish Christians are tempted to go back to Judaism alone, to go back to the Old Testament sacrifices with the smells and the bells. You know, they were getting nostalgic for that tradition. I mean, what a tradition it was. What a legacy in the Jewish faith. Undoubtedly, they were feeling some pressure from the outside world. Judaism was a much more respected and established religion than this new kind of upstart sect. They were feeling this strong pull to go back to the law of Moses that was more tangible than the word of Christ. As they're feeling this pull to go back, uh, listen to verse 2 of Hebrews 2.2 again. Actually, you know, I've read it a few times, so I'm going to put it in my own words. Remember the punishment for neglecting the law of Moses? Remember what happened to the sons of Korah? 
Remember what happened to the children of Israel who totally neglected the Ten Commandments? You think that was bad. You ain't seen nothing yet. If that was the punishment for rejecting the law, what will it mean for those who reject the word of the Son? It's a lesser to greater argument. It's chilling. Friends, I got to tell you, these warning sermons in Hebrews, you're not going to leave feeling like you got a big hug. If you need a hug, go talk to Mark Von Wald. But this is an alarm. It's a big watch out. It's a wake up call. It says, God is just. Those who reject his son will not go unpunished. You know, but most of us don't say, just wake up one day and be like, you know, I think I'm going to reject Jesus today. I think I'm done. Just all of a sudden. I just, I'm done. Now, this is why the, the metaphors are so apt here in our text. What does he say? Drift. Neglect. Neglect has this sense of kind of ignoring the way that we might ignore that warning sign of the rip current. Drifting is, isn't sudden, it's subtle, it's imperceptible at first. I think drifting spiritually may begin where we begin to rationalize our more respectable sins, you know, the, the things that if we were to say out loud, some people, well-intentioned people would be like, oh, everybody struggles with that. That's no big deal. And that, that sin isn't as bad as compared to what so-and-so does. Maybe drifting begins when we just grow tired. We feel like we need rest. We need a break. And you know, I love me the doctrine of saved by grace alone. You know? So once saved, always saved, we tell ourselves. We don't need to do anything to be saved, so we begin to do very little at all as a believer. Before we know it, we're adrift. We're ignoring God's word. It's hard to even see the commands in Scripture anymore. Like in the New Testament, there's all these imperatives, these commands, but our framework of grace kind of sits on top of those so heavy that we're blind and deaf to hear them. This, this warning isn't really for us. Did you notice in this warning how the author includes himself? This is a writer, an unknown writer, but of Holy Scripture, and he says, we must pay attention to what we have heard. So he's talking to himself. He's preaching to himself right now so that we don't drift away. How will we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? I wonder sometimes if we professing Christians could be like those kind of arrogant tourists on the beach, thinking, That warning sign isn't for me. I was on swim team. I'm a pastor. I'm an elder. I'm a deacon. I was a missionary. I serve in my church. I give a generous amount to the church. I'm there every Sunday. That warning's not for me. It's for the it's for the other people. And we don't take into account the strong current 
the enticements of our world and our age, the promise of wealth, pleasure, ease, living for ourselves, can sweep us off our feet, and before we know it, the message of salvation in Christ sounds well. Kind of boring, trite, quaint, kind of silly. That could be the effect of drilling, of drifting. You could find yourself there. But the cause is subtle as well. What are some causes of drifting from this great salvation? Maybe the word of this great word of salvation isn't as compelling to us as our social media feed. Vacations or kids' sports become a greater priority than gathering with God's people. Your speech begins to slowly mimic more the way the world speaks rather than how God's word teaches us to speak. Our time in God's word and in prayer begins to take a backseat to other priorities. I think this word in Hebrews 2, 1 and 2 calls all of us to repent, to turn from the tendency that we all have to drift, to neglect our great salvation. Praise God that he doesn't just stop there. He doesn't just say, like, acknowledge your sinner, your sinner, feel bad about yourself. No. Repentance isn't merely acknowledging the ways that you have fallen short and we all have. Our text tells us what to do. Verse 1. We must pay attention. You know, we should pay attention as if we're about to go skydiving for the first time. And the skydiving instructor is telling us how to jump, how to pull the parachute. That's how we got to listen. Because there's so much more at stake than simply falling to our death from the sky. Brothers and sisters, we got to continue to strive to listen and obey. Listening is made clear, not just by the words going in our head or our ears, but by action, by a response. If Ashley were to tell me to go to the store and pick up some eggs, some milk, some fruit and veggies, and I came back with beer and candy, she would be right to say, you weren't listening. You weren't paying attention to me. And yet I think that's often how we act. We think we're saved by grace, so we can basically do whatever we want in the Christian life. That's not how grace works. That's not how grace works. As Christians, we need a healthy fear of the consequences of what would happen if we were to give up and abandon the word of Christ. And so these warnings come to us from a good God who speaks a good word so that we might not give up, lose faith, and abandon the faith. Now, they're a word of encouragement from the author and the pioneer of our faith who says, don't stop, pay attention all the more to what we've heard in this great salvation of the word of the Son. I will say, these warnings are not meant to lead us to introspection 
and wondering if we are saved or to doubt our salvation. That's not how the warnings work. If you struggle with assurance of salvation, like, am I really a Christian? Uh, These warnings are for the purpose of exhortation. It's an urgent appeal. And if you're worrying, if you're concerned about your salvation, that's a sign that you're you're fighting against the drift. We're all in the fight. You should hear all these warnings that we're going to go through over the next couple months. If you know Bill Fransky, you should picture him yelling at you from the sideline a word of encouragement as you run in a track meet. Don't give up. Keep going. You're almost there. There's the finish line. Together, we run with endurance the race that is set out for us, keeping our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. How do we do this? So how do we pay attention, just practically? We've already considered some of these things. But just to bring it home, we need to pay attention to God's word by taking it seriously. We read the word. We teach the word. We preach the word. We read it with one another. We pray the word. We meditate on the word. We memorize the word. We study the word. We obey the word. We tremble at the word. We rejoice in the word. And you can't do it on your own. We listen. We pay close attention. Pay attention all the more to what we have heard in community. Notice that the pronouns are plural. We do it together. Who loves you enough to speak the truth in love if you begin to drift? If they see you drifting. When you're drifting, sometimes, you know, like you're on your phone or imagine yourself on a raft, you don't realize you're drifting. You need someone to call out and say, hey, you're getting off course. Put down an anchor or fight against the the drift. So who loves you enough in this church to warn you if you're drifting spiritually? If you don't come to this gathering, which is a means of grace to us for several weeks, is anyone in this church going to call you and say, is everything okay? How are you doing? Are you that person for anyone? We need to give one another. I mean, we kind of do in the church covenant, but we need to give one another permission to do that. So that isn't strange or seem like legalistic. Are you taking attendance? No, this is a means of grace. So give one another in your relationships permission to speak this kind of truth in love. Uh, Paying attention is a community project. And let's continue to repent of our failure to pay as close attention to the Son, to this word of salvation as we ought. Let's give ourselves to listening to him today because his word is life. You know, older saints, you may think, well, I've heard this before. I've heard this message before, and I gave my life to Christ. I've loved him. I've served him. I've given myself to all kinds of ministry, which we're so thankful for. You've been a testimony to us of God's grace. But this text is calling us not to look back, but to listen today. Today is the day to listen. Today is the day of salvation. Young people, you may think, I'm old. I'll listen to that when I'm older. I've got my whole life ahead of me. I'm 12, 13, 14. I want to hear what else, what other words are out there, what other perspectives are out there. 
But this text is a warning for, for you too. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to hear Jesus calling you to pay close attention to what you've heard. We're not promised tomorrow. So let's listen and obey. No matter who you are, no matter your past, no matter what you've done, whether you identify with Christ or not, God's word is like a lighthouse to us. It's a warning so that we might not dash ourselves on the rocks. We don't know how close to the rocks we might be. We need one another. We need to pay attention because the lighthouse of God's word is sure and certain. Hinson, we've been listening, but let's not stop. Hold on to the word of salvation together with one another. He is our salvation. He is our forgiveness. He is our eternal life. This warning is for us. So give yourself to this word. Consider how much he has given for us. Are we paying attention? Let's pray. Almighty God, we come before you and we praise you, Father, Son, and Spirit, for how you have implanted your word in us, your people, not because of anything that we have done, not because we are so worthy or because we figured it out, but because you chose to have mercy on us. You chose to reveal yourself to us in the word of salvation that is your son. So we, we thank you, Father, we thank you, Son. We thank you, Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would not let us go. We thank you for your promise that all who are truly in you will persevere to the end and that you have given us the mercy and the grace that we need for today. But Lord, help us not to grow passive, but to continue to strive to work out our salvation with fear and trembling, knowing that it is you who is at work in us for your good pleasure. Lord, so we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you are a speaking God and your word doesn't come to us first as a word of judgment, but a word of salvation. Praise you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.